With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is the Ridiculous Ashes podcast. I'm Dan Lipke. With me is Alex Bowden. Hello. We're covering historical Ashes series to find out which nation is the more ridiculous at cricket, England or Australia. And the series we're covering this time is the 2009 Ashes. And here's Alex to explain how it all works. Yes. Uh, I mean, hopefully you're not joining in for the third test, but maybe you are. Uh, It's very simple. Uh, I nominate England's most ridiculous moments from each test match and Dan nominates Australia's. Uh, then together, we pick out our top three and give them three, two, one points to see who won the match or whether it was a draw. Uh, Australia are currently 1-0 up after taking the second test. The first test was a draw. Um, Mitchell Johnson secured three points for uh, his left and right bowling. Uh, there were two points for Brad Haddon's ball in pad. Uh, Benny Hill give the fielders a runaround bit, which... <laughs> Actually, now that I sort of uh, think back to it now, I almost I, that's the bit that sticks with me more. I suppose Mitchell <laughs> Johnson's uh, left and right bowling is timeless. But yes. uh, yeah, the Brad Hiding thing, uh, <laughs> in my head, that's kind of three points now. Uh, and then one point to Andrew Flintoff getting himself a place on both Lord's Honours boards because we concluded that given how many hundreds and how many fifers he took, that was uh, pretty unlikely. Mm. But uh, it happened. So on to the third test. Uh, Edgbaston. Uh, what happened in the third test, Dan? Yeah, so England uh, won the previous test in the Real Ashes. Uh, so Australia made a couple of changes. So Shane Watson came in to open. He took the place of Philip Hughes. And then there was a last-minute finger injury to Brad Haddon, which saw Graham Manu play his first and only test. Uh, for England, uh, Ian Bell replaced Kevin Peterson. He had to go off and have some ankle surgery. And Australia won the toss, and there was a lot of gloomy weather on the first day, but they managed to get in a little bit of play on the first day. They lost just the one wicket in the evening session, but 
then collapsed the next morning uh, to the bowling of Graham Onions and uh, James Anderson, and they were all out for 263. Uh, in reply, England made 376, uh, highlighted by Andrew Flintoff's uh, 74 from 79 deliveries. Uh, but the weather and the loss of the entire third day of play meant that England's first innings finished late on the fourth day. They still had a chance to win if they could bowl out Australia cheaply, but instead it was uh, Marcus North and Michael Clark who saw Australia to the safety of a draw, and Clark picked up a century before the match was put out of its misery. Okay, my, my first nomination actually comes on day two because there wasn't uh, a great deal of day one. Uh, the score at the end of day one was 126 for one after mm-hmm. they'd, uh, they started quite late. So uh, on day one, Graham Onions had bowled three overs for, for 21. <laughs> had not had a, a huge amount of success. So obviously, Andrew Strauss asked him to open the bowling on day two, <laughs> given that record. Um First ball, uh, Onions hit upon the ingenious idea of bowling at Shane Watson stumps and allowing him to get his legs in the way. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> he was given LBW. Uh, second ball, he opted to angle a 90 mile an hour delivery across Mike Hossie, only to seam it back in and hit the top of off stumps. So two wickets in his first two deliveries, <laughs> the first two deliveries of the day after bowling like a drain on day one. That is my first nomination. And that's pretty much the, the size of it. Yeah, I mean, that, this is a great nomination. It's absolutely uh, crazy. Crazy. Um, one of the things I like best about it is uh, you see the time of Shane Watson's dismissal, and it's at ten fifty nine a.m. So he was actually dismissed <laughs> before the official start of play. So, uh, what, just one of the many reasons that he's the the goat of Australian <laughs> comedy. Yeah, I think there was a certain sort of urgency to get going that day. That, that day one, it's, I mean, they, they'd done quite well. Day one started at 5 p.m. Yeah. And they'd still managed to rack up 126 for one, which is, you know, you think of starting at five o'clock and you don't think you're going to get through much. But yeah, that was fine work from Shane Watson. I think he saw an opportunity for some sort of unique comedy there and... <laughs> Well, you know, planted that front foot. And it kind of uh, spurred Michael Hussey on as well, because I think Hussey just let, let, let the ball go and hit his stumps. Yes. So that was uh, good stuff from Michael Hussey. That's always that's always good. I mean, it was an understandable leave. It didn't look, it, it's mm. not one of your sort of, uh, well, no, yeah. I mean, you leave a ball that hits your stumps, it's, it's never a smart move. Australia did, in fact, end up losing a, a quite, a, quite neat 7 for 77 in that first session of day two which is perhaps not quite at the standard of some of England's epic collapses, but it's still still a very fine effort, I think. Yeah, I mean, a bit later on, I think James Anson took four wickets in four overs. <laughs> was he on a hat-trick at one point as well? Yeah, well, very possibly, yeah. Let's say he was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, my first nomination is... Uh, I'll, I'll go back in time a little bit. I'll go, I'll go back to the first day, and in fact, slightly before the first day's play. Uh, this, is, uh, this is Brad Haddon's broken finger. So I, is I'm, this 10.59? Yes, yes. Uh, well, I, I think it was actually after that because Brad Haddon somehow in between the toss, which was delayed because of all the wet weather. Oh, yeah. Uh, somehow in between the toss and the start of play, he managed to break a finger. I'm not, I'm not quite sure how he managed that, but uh, he, he had about half an hour to do it in. He did it and it gave uh, Graham Manu his first and only test. And uh, so, yeah. Brad you say Haddon, that like he had an opportunity. He had a half hour window where he could break his finger if he really sort of put his mind to it. And he did so and he succeeded. Yeah, it was, uh, it was 
a good effort from Brad Haddon, who just, I'm not, not even quite sure. I, I guess they were doing some kind of fielding drill, and he, he took the ball. I mean, he's got gloves on. How, how does he break a finger in that time? <laughs> I, I can understand, like, Glenn McGrath tripping on a ball and twisting his ankle and being ruled out of a test. But, uh, yeah, breaking your finger seems more difficult somehow. I think there's sort of two parts to this nomination that I quite like. I mean, first one is Haddon managing to break his finger in that tiny window between the toss and the start of play. And the second part, which I, I'm almost more swayed by, is Graham Manu. Yeah, yep. <laughs> Just the sheer presence of him. Like, for for an England fan, he's, he's one of those crickets where you go, oh, yeah, Graham, Graham Manu. And then, you know, real memory of anything about him beyond his name and that he was a wicketkeeper. Yeah, well, he didn't do much in this test. It is always fun to listen to Athers say Graham Manu on debut. That kind of caught my <laughs> ear a couple of times, uh, which is which is always good fun. And uh, yeah, as, as mentioned, he didn't do much in this test, but I think he was reasonably competent. Uh, I, had to, I had to clarify that with you because in my head he's always been Graham Manu. That's uh, how that's how much exposure I've had to Graham Manu, <laughs> Graham yep. Menu. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that that's my nomination. Uh, and I, th- I think uh, if, if I recall correctly, Australia had to uh, approach England and say, "Is it quite all right if we if we swap our wicketkeeper because of this foolhardy injury that uh, Brad Haddon's come up with?" And England <laughs> very very generously said, "Yeah, that's fine." <laughs> get, get well, they, they probably said, "Who is it?" And they said, "It's Graham Manu." Like, ah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> No worries. Okay, uh, my next nomination is uh, there was a spell where England were encouraging audience participation, which <laughs> I found quite delightful. Um, so Ian Ian Bell hit Nathan Horitz for a six and knocked a spectator out of his chair, <laughs> which is always quite funny. I think sort of leading, trying to take a catch. Yeah. Uh, one thing struck me at this: that a bit of. I mean, this really dates it. Shame Warren commentary. Warren might even say, you've been Shermanated. <laughs> like, he was clearly just sort of uh, still still pushing that. Like, that was that was Warren's thing at the time, that uh, Ian Bell was the Shermanator. You, and I think... you, you do realise, though, that if, if Bell was still playing, it wouldn't be dated at all, because Warren would still be drilling on this <laughs> Shermanator nonsense. Yeah. I mean, Oh shade. <laughs> uh, so that was the that was the first instance, and then um, I got over it so later. A four from Andrew Strauss teases a fan into leaning into his like the, the fans at the boundary edge, leaving over the advertising hoardings, and he's got his beer precariously balanced on it, and the the four sort of trickles to the rope and pops up, and the fan is just desperate to get it, so he leans forward and tips over his own his own beer and drenches the ball in the process. Yeah. It's all very sort of like all the fun of the fair yes. um so that's the, those two instances combined within a couple of minutes of each other are my uh, my second nomination very entertaining good of england to get the crowd involved uh, that, that's part of home ground advantage isn't it to, to get the crowd yeah i think uh, so and it was a it was a tough tough match for crowds with uh, <laughs> all the rain around and things and the sort yep. of like like i don't know like winding down to a sort of non-event of a close uh, on the on the final day so uh, yeah it's good to give them something to uh, get involved with all right my next nomination is uh pre-drs watto and <laughs> it is, is of course always difficult to go into an ashes test with shane watson and not nominate him for a ridiculous moment <laughs> uh, as mentioned we've already had him being dismissed before play began um but this was him uh, opening the batting for the first time in tests and uh he did he did pretty well at it he, he scored twin half centuries which was uh which was pretty good at really he can't cut us a lot more than that yeah. Um, which, which is kind of amusing 
interesting because when Justin Langer retired, probably uh, what would have been a couple of years before this, and uh, early 2007, uh, Watson did try opening in the Sheffield Shield. He wanted to push his case as a test opener. And in those, the he, he batted six innings as an opener in the Sheffield Shield and he made 0, 0, 0, 15, 13 and 0. So um, <laughs> I'm not quite sure why they thought he could open in a test match, but uh, they, you know, they, they threw him in there and he did all right. There was a lot of promise in that 13. <laughs> Give a real sense of what you might do. Uh, but yeah, the, the moment that caught my eye was uh, in the first innings. Graham Swan trapped him completely plumb in front and the umpire gave him not out. And uh, a, a real, a, this is just a massive hindsight corner, really, because he's so intrinsically entwined with the terrible review that it's difficult to remember that there even was a pre-DRS Watson version. And uh, yeah, but th- there was, and on, on this occasion, it, it helped him out. So uh, that, that's my nomination. Although, as I say, he was given LBW. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ultimately, I mean, like, I suppose that doesn't even need stating. There were a lot of, uh, I mean, that's one thing watching the highlights again and watching the LBWs from the pre-DRS era. Um, like like some of them, like Ian Bell was hit by one Mitchell Johnson delivery, which was real middle-of-middle territory <laughs> and then not given. And it's not so much the... like the, I mean, that's pretty weird because umpires are pretty decent these days. I mean, not so yeah. they weren't decent then, but it, it, like I don't know if it was... Uh, uh, as as striking at the time, uh, but the, it's more the sort of reaction of the commentators and things. It just seems totally weird now. But at the time, everyone was a bit more phlegmatic about that yeah. kind of thing. Like, like if it was a really key moment in the game, people would get het up about it and be bothered about it. If it seemed like it was like a crucial partnership or something like that, but mostly people just treated it like the, like the way that you treat umpires call now. Just like, ah, oh, well, you know, it yeah. could have gone either way, but it what, didn't what get given. You what can you do? Is I mean, it was smashing into the middle of middle but uh you know <laughs> not not given so like on we go yeah uh, i suppose that was always the argument against drs but uh yeah it's just weird looking back mm. yeah um right my final nomination uh is beamers <laughs> <laughs> uh, in australia's second innings when the match was kind of uh, not really doing a, a great a great deal i think i think the ball got wet um, Probably from one of those beers being spilt on it, right? Yes, I think it was a beer-induced beamers. Uh, beamish, beamish stout, maybe. I don't know. There's some puns that I can make. Um, so Graham Swanball wants a Mike Hussey that Alistair Cook at short leg must have been absolutely <laughs> elated about because Hussey basically just baseball clubbed it for four past his nose. Um, and then four runs later, James Anderson came in and bowled a, a fast full toss above waist height at uh, Shane Watson. Um, it obviously looks sort of like heartbroken about it being Shane Watson. Uh, but instead of apologising, Jimmy just started laying into him, uh, just like it was his fault. It was so... That, yeah, was that, that was definitely my highlight. The, the, like, Anderson, like, <laughs> traditionally, the, the bowler holds up a hand to say, oh, really sorry that I almost knocked yeah. your head off there. <laughs> Jimmy's just like, well, what the F are you doing? So, yeah, that was Why didn't you allow that to hit you in the face? I don't know what you were chatting him about, but he was, he was pretty annoyed. Like, couldn't you see that the ball was slightly damp? <laughs> 
dare you? How dare you get offended? Yeah. And so, and, but what, what I, I mean, to his credit, after the initial sorrow and sadness there, he, he gave a little bit of lip back. So there's a little bit of back and forth and they were, they kept on, you know, muttering away to one another. Everyone was changing fielding positions because it was the end of the over. And then eventually I think they were just sledging one another for a sufficiently long time that Rudy Kurtzen decided to end the day's play. He just said, oh, I've had enough of this. <laughs> there's only one way to resolve this we'll just i won't go home <laughs> yeah, if you can't play nicely i'm calling this off yes they are very fine all right and uh all right my final nomination is michael clark doesn't deserve a hundred and uh <laughs> this this also ties into the final day and this this one's kind of a, a little bit of meta ridiculousness because as we've mentioned throughout this uh podcast uh we we, we you know get our details from watching watching the highlights uh of, of these matches we're not less time to sit and watch a five-day test <laughs> match that happened sort of many years ago just to, to put together our 40-minute podcast, don't we? Uh, so, yeah, so there was lots of time lost to rain and bad light in this test, and pretty much by the time uh, Marcus North and Michael Clark ensured that Australia was safe, there were still two sessions left in this test match, which was just certain to be a draw and so the highlights were just reduced to you know replays of Alistair Cook fielding in close copping drives into the shins it was it was just <laughs> the most tedious thing as uh, they were trying to uh, trying to drag out this this these very boring highlights yeah I I, I just I, I don't it does happen occasionally but I, you it's a classic example of just highlights when they have to show everything but it's just so protracted and uneventful it pretty much showed the drinks break yeah uh, i think like michael clark was in the 90s for about 450 years it just <laughs> seemed to just drag on i don't know if that's the case or whether it was just like the way highlights it sort of almost like expand time because you, mm. you you're expecting like an hour of play to take 10 minutes of highlights or yep. whatever 15 minutes of highlights so when an hour of play becomes an hour of highlights highlights it just it feels just interminable so it's like if you listen to a podcast on 1.5 times speed and then you go back to one time speed it's like oh my god why are they talking so slow yeah anyway uh, try listening to our podcast on 1.5 times speed uh, anyway, so a, a couple a couple of highlights of the these uh, interminable highlights. Sky uh, at one point put up a bowling options graphic which had Paul Collingwood matches five wickets fifteen, Ravi Bapara matches nine wickets one, Ian Bell matches forty seven wickets one. So they were they were getting pretty <laughs> desperate, England uh, and Sky. And I, I guess the only other thing worth paying attention to on on that final day is whether Clark or North could get their centuries. So uh, uh, Bapara with his uh, one wicket in nine tests eventually got the nod to bowl and uh, was immediately hit for 17 runs in, in an over. So North hit uh, three consecutive fours to move into the 90s. And you thought, all right, he's uh, Marcus North getting his uh, century. But no, he was caught by a flying Jimmy Anderson at Gully in the in the very next over. So at this stage, like I, th- I think they're in, into the point now where they can call the test off, but Michael Clark is sufficiently close to a century. They're, they're not going to shake hands and, and do that until... <laughs> Clark gets his centuries, and then Clark takes forever to do it, and and does it in these in kind of very bizarre circumstances. So um, Stuart Broad hits the top of Michael Clark's off stump, uh, but the bail doesn't come off. This is when Michael Clark was ninety two. Uh, then he was caught off a no ball when he was ninety six, and uh, eventually, as you mentioned, what's him like? 
400 hours later, he uh, got the century and then they all immediately shook hands and said, let's get the hell out of here. <laughs> and, and yeah, So I, I think a lot of times people say, oh, he deserved a century when they're, they're out for 94. I think this is the exact opposite. This is somebody who did got a century they didn't deserve. Yeah. I, uh, I, I mean, I just like that the whole, the only reason they're playing international cricket for this period is so this one guy can have three figures next to his name instead of two. It's just like the most farcical thing. Like, no one, there's nothing at stake other yep. than that, other than this one guy, like the number associated with this one guy. <laughs> everyone else is just like like roped into this. Like, it would be bad enough if it was everyone in the match, like all the opposition players and to bowls that there's like one like fella on the opposition could get a hundred, like just play for him. But it's not just that, because there's just like thousands of people in the stands all just sitting around going like, oh, well, you know, we'll have another beer while he just rings this out even longer. So yeah, that, that was... Uh... Uh, so that's that's my uh, third and final nomination. Okay, right. Anything else worth mentioning? Or sort of. Well, I, I think uh, the the rain delays. I, I guess were were, were the. Oh yeah, the I wanted to talk about this actually. Yeah. yeah. So so rain delayed the start of days one and four. I think mm-hmm. um, day two, as we stated, got very promptly. <laughs> got a very prompt start. Um, and uh, day three was a complete washout. And so I, I actually went to this match. Yeah. Uh, and I went to day three. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so I wasn't living anywhere. Well, you know, the UK is only so big, but I wasn't living anywhere near Birmingham. Uh, so we we drove down in the morning to go and watch uh, a day's play. Uh, they, I would, I would say that the best seats I've ever had for a test match. <laughs> they were in this weird corner of a stand that basically had its own bar, and because of the way that it was, like the bar was positioned, no one else in the stand really sort of knew it was there. Oh, so we just like had our brilliant. own private bar. I don't know, I don't know what part, I don't know what stand it was. People who know Egypt probably know it. Um, Maybe if there were more people in or more people sort of hanging around, people would see the sort of the stream of people. But it kind of felt like we just never had to queue because go and get a drink. Um, but it was it was just like the the classic day of like optimism versus reality. <laughs> but like the 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 ground itself, the the. They, they never really reached decisions about anything. So we would turn up and they would like, it would, it wasn't raining. It had yeah. been raining overnight been really, really, really heavily overnight. So there's just like loads of standing water, which is the worst situation. Cause then you're just looking at this sort of like empty <laughs> ground when it's not raining and they're saying, we'll have an inspection at like 12 o'clock. So you're like, Ooh, right, okay, well, you know, we'll have a bite to eat and we'll see what happens at 12. And then at 12, they'll say, Oh, it's still a bit damp. We'll have an inspection at one o'clock and we'll take an early lunch. And then they just kind of ring it, like, like edge the day back. And uh, we yeah. would just sort of sat around there uh, for ages, just hoping against hope that uh, it would actually get going. And then they, I don't know, they officially abandoned the day completely at 2.40 p.m., which is quite a long, like, so we were there from before 11 o'clock. <laughs> and, like, I think probably a lot of people are just, like, could tell that it wasn't going to happen. But, you know, we'd driven all the way down, so we were yeah. like, well, you know, no, my God. I've, I've been and, at and you had that great five matches. Yeah, we had the bar. Although, like, at least one of us was driving, so yeah. that was... Uh, <clears throat> but uh, I'd been to the 2005 Ashes, uh, the, the one day that was uh, really rainy there, 
uh, and uh, they'd played about sort of 10 overs late in the day. So we were thinking, oh, we might get our 10 overs again, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so you just, uh, yeah. We'd, so that's, I, I would almost nominate that as ridiculous, <laughs> my own, our own behavior and that sort of what we had to endure. Well, I was watching the highlights and I had no memory of the, of the day three washout. And so I was just very startled when all of a sudden a graphic came on the screen showing that it was the fourth day. I was just like, what the hell? <laughs> Where did this come from? Uh, day I, two to day four is a jump, isn't it? There's, yeah. Uh, I know you miss any day it's a jump but day two you're still sort of setting the scene day four is like yeah. often the we're, final yeah. day we're in, the, we're in the end game now yeah yes uh, but I also quite liked at the end of day two the commentators mentioned that the teams had agreed they could that play could continue with the lights turned on but then they also mentioned there were no lights to turn on which was <laughs> <very> strange <laughs> just a theoretical agreement yeah <laughs> Uh, another moment I particularly liked was uh, Mike Atherton on commentary. He was uh, saying, if you bowl the in-swinger too much, it loses its effectiveness. He was talking about Jimmy Anderson here. And pretty much yeah. as he finished the sentence, Anderson got Clark with an in-swinger and then proceeded to take four more wickets, pretty much all of them with in-swingers. <laughs> so that, that, that amused me a lot. There was uh, a moment when uh, Graham Onions failed to take a court and bowl because he was he was busy appealing for an LBW and had to break it off to go for the catch. I, I, I like that moment and i you know i don't know maybe he wouldn't have taken the catch but it felt a bit like going for the wicket denied him the wicket yeah uh very good uh any, any others or are we gonna choose out well i think the only other one i'd like to mention is um when england was six behind australia flint mm. off went for the six to uh <laughs> to, to breach the deficit but my the key element is that he hit the boundary toblerone with it so it's a perfectly calibrated effort and yet and yet and this this galls me because it's one of my favorite cliches nobody said he didn't try to overhit it <laughs> missed opportunity he didn't try to overhit it. it absolutely perfectly calibrated his six hitting effort yeah good work uh andrew flintoff all right. So voting. Then. Voting. What are we going to go with here? Um, I, I I think uh, Michael Clark uh, is probably my strongest one. I think. Uh, yeah, I I definitely have him in there because if only because it took so much of the. I mean, the second half of the game almost like we didn't probably know it at the time, but uh, yeah, quite a large proportion of that was like everyone, everyone, come on, play cricket and watch cricket just for Michael Clark. <laughs> It's, it it's, it's very one. Michael Clark, uh, that, that entire yeah. vibe, I think. <laughs> um, my strongest one, oh, what did I have? Uh, the beam, the beamers are a bit, I think, uh, I mean, I like James Anderson's sledging. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the audience, the audience participation is a little bit contrived, really. Yeah. Um, I think, I think maybe Graham Onions is my strongest for yeah. simple fact. Two, starting the day, I mean, two wickets and two balls is pretty ridiculous, but to start the day with two wickets and two balls, at that point, people are thinking like, well, this could be over very, very quickly. We might not have to sit around watching Michael Clark for 500 years <laughs> later in the week. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think Graham Onions, too, starting day two with the two wickets in the first two balls, I, I, it's, it's, it's perfect. I, I, I assume Richie Benno wasn't commentating, which is a little bit sad because <laughs> I, he, he would have enjoyed that moment. Yeah, uh, I think particularly also the fact that just the simple fact that he was chosen to bowl, which in a way I think was probably like a bit of a captaincy masterstroke from mm. Strauss in that he was presumably building his confidence because he wasn't like an established member of the side, yeah. but uh, you know, worked out well as well. <laughs> and I think, uh, you know, I, I don't think Watto being hit on the pads and uh, is, is, is all that ridiculous. Uh, it's only ridiculous because <laughs> he 
because he didn't have de- uh, a, a review to waste on it. Um, yeah, it's just sort of like a cumulatively ridiculous thing. Like you would you would nominate a, uh, the whole concept of Shane Watson reviews, yes. whereas this is really just like one example of a, a broader thing, I suppose. Yes, I but, like uh, Haddon and Manu. Manu. Yeah. I like Haddon and Manu. Um, just but for both, like I say, for both elements of that, the the simple presence of Graham Manu and having uh, just taken his opportunity in that narrow window he had. Yeah, I I I, th- I think that the onions the onions is the, is the strongest one of the lot. I think I think two wickets in the first two balls of a day is 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 pretty remarkable, especially when you throw in the fact that he took one before the de- uh, the day's play actually started. So <laughs> yeah. I think that's very silly. So, okay, let's let's give that the nod then for three points. Yeah, and, and then then I'd I'd say it's probably my. Michael Clark's, uh, Michael Clark's yeah, very I, I interminable century. Yeah, just, I mean, that was a great swathe of ridiculousness. I think it's hard to sort of fight that back with yeah. just like one, like, finger break, which presumably was a, a momentary thing. I don't, I, it wasn't like one of his teammates sticking his thumb in a vice and... Uh... <laughs> he, he was, he was uh, kind of infamously poked in the eye once by James Faulkner while, uh, the, while they're trying to oh, celebrate. The celebration. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, it was, uh, so presumably this, this wasn't the same kind of thing, but... I, is that the third ranked one, the the Manu Haddon? Yeah, I think so. I mean, Beamers. Mm. Uh, I mean, Beamers happen. It was. Yeah. It, uh, and Anderson does sledge people. <laughs> that happens too. Yeah. <laughs> that happens. So uh, yeah. No, I'm happy with that. I think right. I think Audience three points. Michael Clark two points. I mean, the only question is whether Michael Clark just with the sheer just scale and scope of his his uh, his ridiculousness uh, outranks on you. That's probably the only question for me. Yeah. I, I would probably go three points on you, two points Clark. Yeah, I'd point. give Onions also on the fact that he, he's, got, he's got one of the great uh, ridiculous names in cricket as well. I think Onions is, is Yeah, you do have to factor that in, actually. Yeah. That's true. Graham. So there we go. Three, two, one. I think that makes it a draw. So we've got a, a drawn test here, which Another I think draw. means uh, Australia will retain a 1-0 lead as we head into the fourth test. Yeah. Uh, so thank you for listening. You can uh, check out Alex's website. That's kingcricket.co.uk. Uh, you can check out mine. That's over at liebcricket.com. Or you can follow us on Twitter, at uh, Ridiculous Ashes, uh, to get all the updates on when these episodes drop, or at the King's Tweets for Alex, or at Cricket for me. And we will be back in a week with our coverage of the fourth test of the 2009 Ridiculous Ashes. So you can subscribe to the podcast to get that as soon as it drops. And while you're doing that, please give your honest five-star ratings on the podcast store of your choice. And we will see you then. See you then. Sports Social Podcast Network. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.